Hello. Hello. You are listening to This Is Awkward, the podcast about how to have difficult conversations. We are your hosts, Leanne Nicholl and Christy McLeod. Ever feel like you put your foot in your mouth more often than a contortionist? Or worse, say nothing at all when confronted with tricky subjects. We are here to help by dissecting what makes some conversations so difficult and how you can broach them. Life would be easier without awkward silences, faux pas and full-blown rows. We will be talking to some amazing guests who will recount some of their trickiest conversations and what they learnt from them. As well as offering some brilliant hints and tips on how to tackle some of life's most awkward topics. Time to fill those awkward silences. Today's subject is one I am sure many, if not all of us can relate to, how to have an awkward conversation with your GP. Yes, we will be chatting all things embarrassing bodies with GP and women's health specialist, Dr. Eloise Elphinstone. London-based GP Eloise cites a year spent practicing obstetrics and gynaecology in Australia as the experience which sparked her passion for women's health. And she's since gone on to produce incredibly helpful resources for patients, such as Your Guide to Postnatal Health and Wellbeing and Your Guide to the Health and Wellbeing of Your New Baby. She is also about to publish another leaflet on postnatal sex and relationships. She's clearly a very busy woman and we are really lucky to have her joining us today. Eloise, thank you and welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's it's an honour to be part of this and I think it's a really important subject to be talking about. So thank you. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Now, you've been a GP for quite a while now. What are some of the key issues that patients find hard to talk about with their GP? I mean, I think it's it varies hugely, but I think in particular, it's issues that, that people can find quite embarrassing. And as a GP, we come across these all the time, so we don't really think too much about it. But I know for patients, it can be really difficult talking about certain things that include maybe um, things to do with periods, things to do with incontinence, bowel or bladder, things linked with sex. Um, these are all quite personal and sometimes intimate things. And, and I think that can be really difficult and embarrassing and patients often don't know quite how to start these conversations. Um, I've done um, quite a bit of work in the sexual health clinics as well and I know that can be a really tough area to to talk about all of these really quite intimate and what people can see as embarrassing problems. For us though it's just part of, of what we do and and I think we see this all the time, but I know for patients, it's it's a really difficult area sometimes to talk about. Well, yeah, I mean, we don't tend to talk so much about our bodily fluids and sex and all of that stuff as like within the British culture. I think it's changing. So it's not something that we're familiar with as we grow up being comfortable talking about our bodies, periods, etc. Um, do you think that potentially it's different in other cultures where they are a bit more open about these things? I think if you're brought up to, to talk more about yourself, your body, 
um, absolutely it's easier. I think I think there are some cultures where, yes, I also think there are some cultures where it's even more difficult to talk about. So um, I, I do, mm. I think it, it really does depend on your upbringing. I think it's pul- partly cultural, but I also think it's partly what you're used to in your family. And people from very similar cultures can be very, very different in how, how they are able to talk about things. Um, I think we as doctors probably have a responsibility as well to be initiating these questions and asking these questions because that's not always easy things to talk about but it's sometimes easier if you've been prompted to talk about it so I think I think it's a two-way thing um, but I think it is different for everybody and, and we as doctors should be picking up on people where Sometimes it's obvious that they want to talk about something, but they're not quite sure how to start that conversation. And and that's where we need to be sort of trying to help and make it easier. I think, Mm. I mean, you know how I feel about the postnatal check. You and I have already like talked and done a bit of work around that together. Um, And I think you really hit the nail on the head that sometimes it's these prompts that we need to be able to talk about things that are uncomfortable or awkward, embarrassing, or um, with the postnatal check that we're just not in a space where we're thinking about ourselves. Um, so those prompts, yeah. I think, are really important. And culturally as well, I think, as you as I said about other cultures finding it easier, but actually within the UK, there's going to be people from cultural backgrounds which actually make those conversations much more difficult in my book, Your Postnatal Body, which um, Eloise kindly contributed to, I interviewed a woman who found it really difficult to talk about incontinence, as you mentioned earlier, and uh, a poor repair after a third degree tear. Um, and these things do need to be addressed and she I think was really struggling with that so having yeah. prompts I think is is really really important I completely agree I mean if you've never talked about it at home if it's not an area that's ever been brought up if it if it sort of almost causes embarrassment at home with people you know it's very very difficult to bring up something in front of somebody you potentially don't know so mm-hmm. um I think we've all got to be sort of really aware of this and how different it is for sort of everybody, really, how some people might find it really easy, but other people can really avoid that subject altogether. Did GPs ever feel awkward? I really wanted to know that as well. If you're a GP and you go in, like, are you just naturally more confident about these things? Do you mean if I'm the patient? Yeah. I want to ask about things. It's a really good question. I I think I'm from a family where we do talk about things. And um, so I, I'm quite open. I'm quite open with my girls. Um, I've got two girls about talking about things. But yeah, I think, I mean, I, I certainly sat waiting for a doctor's appointment, felt a bit nervous, thinking, why am I feeling nervous? But it, I think it's, it's you want to make sure you're saying the right thing. I think you know when you're seeing a GP, you've only got 10 minutes. And so I'm really aware of that, thinking, right, I've got to get everything in that time. And how do I bring up this particular point? And so, yeah, I think, I think, you, I think you do absolutely feel nervous for no and again for no apparent reason even though I don't really mind talking about these things I think you're on the spot and so yeah yeah I do and I try and therefore sort of in my mind think okay that's what I feel when I'm waiting to see a doctor so 
I need to maybe put myself in their shoes when they're waiting to come and see me and then come and talk to me about it. And I know people are really nervous. Um, It's funny, I mean, I see patient after patient and I'm just trying to make sure that I'm doing it all correctly and I'm um, talking about the right things and treating correctly. But actually you need to take a step back and think how are people actually feeling waiting for these appointments and talking about them and actually people Mm. can get really nervous. And also... From your professional perspective as well, is this something that is a a bit of a skill that gets honed over time? Because the reason I ask, and it sort of stems from my last question about do GPs ever get embarrassed? Because a, a friend of mine had a situation with a student doctor. I think she was having a smear test. And she said this poor guy was dying a thousand deaths and she said I could tell he was so uncomfortable with everything to do with the situation and she said she felt the need to sort of make small talk to try and make him feel better and she said oh is this the area you want to go into and he said no definitely not this is not the area I want to go into I'm just doing this because I have to yeah absolutely experience without a doubt helps and I think that's why and, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this but it's actually finding somebody who you feel comfortable talking about but also is experienced in in their area because the more you do something as a doctor the more comfortable you are you've practiced you've asked questions maybe it's gone wrong at a time and you sort of think that's definitely not the best way of putting that so you (laughs) can then try and tweak it and you get used to ways of putting things that put people at ease in order for them to Mm. then feel much more relaxed to be able to talk about these things you're not going to open up about something really personal and um uh and nerve-wracking really if you don't feel comfortable in front of the person and often is the first time you've ever met a doctor I mean unfortunately people see all different doctors all the time so um but yeah I mean I remember I did a sexual health job when I was um early GP training and you have to ask so many incredibly personal questions and I felt quite naive at the time and I think the more I did it it was a six-month job you get more and more used to asking the questions you get more and more used to the art some of the answers and you do you mm. hone in and it makes if you're more comfortable it makes the patient more comfortable and if it's something that you're you're not comfortable in or like that smear test maybe he hadn't done many and he was feeling nervous that he was doing it right and what was he doing um it, it does tend mm. to come across really mm, definitely So over time, do you think the type of topics that patients are struggling with are changing? Is there anything new or different that you're noticing? I think it goes through phases and I think variety of reasons. I think if something's happened in the press, so a celebrity or the the Jade Goody effect, for Mm. example, Um, I can't remember when that was a while back, but then smear tests, for example, went up hugely at that point and people coming in talking about um, that area more. Um, More recently with Deborah James with bowel cancer and that such a sad story. And again, definitely I noticed more people coming and asking. But actually, interestingly, it almost makes it easier for people to talk about it if it's Mm. been in the press. Mm. So talking about Pooh, for example, I mean, she's done a fabulous job at trying to sort of um, quash the stigma about talking about it. Um, 
So I think I think there's something around her being a, like a fairly young woman yeah. that potentially helps women specifically in talking about that. Would Would you agree with that? Are you seeing kind of is it is it more women that are coming to you and being a bit more open about that kind of thing? I think in relation to her, yes, I've certainly seen more women say, well, because of because of what she's been through, I want to get checked. Um, I think also you you can put yourself in her shoes. She's young. She's got um, she had two children. People can put themselves in her shoes and think, right, um, that happened to her. That could happen to me. I'm going to go and talk Mm -hmm. about it. I think it gives that push that you need. I, I hope, and I think it does make it less awkward to talk about because more people are talking about it. Um, I think another example, I do a lot of menopause work and the more it's talked about now, um, the more people are coming to talk to me about it and often talking with friends about it um, sort of encourages them sometimes something that's been going on for years that either that they don't know is a problem or that they are too embarrassed to talk about. Um, Libido is a big one with menopause that can get affected and it's not always the easiest thing to talk about. But if more and more of your friends are talking about it, it sort of encourages the sort of conversation to be opened and maybe makes you to feel be honest bit- I think it's um I think it's all my friends are talking about at the moment <laughs> <laughs> I'm early 40s and yeah. everyone is discussing oh I've got a bit of this do you think I'm perimenopausal or, or I've got a bit of that yeah uh, completely. I think I need to go see the GP <laughs> Well, completely. And I, um, I, well, I've, I'm in that world. So it feels like it's all I talk about. But I also think, I mean, it's it, even with myself, I'm not perimenopausal, but I do start questioning all the symptoms thinking, oh, goodness, well, half of those things that those, that patient who is perimenopausal has, I think I might have. And you do, you start then sort of questioning yourself as well, um, just because it's the world that you're, you're in. But, mm. but hopefully, at least it starts you thinking and if if anything does sort of ring true it then sort of gives you that push to maybe just go and talk about it and maybe it's not an issue or maybe there is nothing wrong but actually just otherwise these things can build up and they start worrying you and becoming much much bigger an issue whereas actually talking about them sometimes actually it's just reassurance that you need Mm. or chat I mean I see so many patients as a GP where I have a chat with them, don't feel like I've necessarily done anything. They haven't gone away with a prescription or a referral, but actually that's what's needed. It's just talking through and going away thinking, no, it's actually, that's fine. And I don't need help or I, or yes, I want to go and think about that more. And, and I think that's what we, we need to be encouraging, just that talking about it. Definitely. Which segues beautifully into my next question. So thank you. (laughs) So obviously there is this really important point that you've mentioned about providing reassurance for people. Um, Why else is it important that people find that courage to have those awkward conversations with their GPs? I think a variety of reasons. I mean, I suppose the first reason is if there is something serious going on. I mean, you think about Dame Deborah James with having to talk about poo and changes in poo. Actually, there was something incredibly serious going on. So although they are minority and rare, and I don't want everybody to think if they something's changed in their poo, it's definitely something nasty. But I think that's that's a huge priority that the earlier these things are talked about, if there is something going on, then it can be looked into and picked up. 
So I think that's the first reason. But I think sort of, as I, as I sort of mentioned to you before, that actually these things can start really having an impact. I mean, for example, libido, if, if that is low and it's having an impact on you, it might then start having an impact on your relationship. And then that can spiral to then having an impact on your children or your mental health. Or And so there are these all these different areas that can get affected from this one initial thing. Um, or incontinence, for example, another, another thing, you, if you leave it and then um, you stop doing things that you were previously doing, exercise, for example, um, because you find you, you leak when you're doing exercise, well, then that will have other physical sort of effects on you because you're not exercising, you're not keeping as fit. Um, that can have an effect on your mental health as well. So I think with all of it, there's a spiral of different um, effects it can have from that one original problem. And it can become a much bigger problem the longer it's left. So actually, you want to be able to start talking about it early before it's even become too big a problem, because often there are things that can be helpful to then prevent it, it, it spiralling. Gosh, I'd never even considered those wider implications. Yeah, of course, I guess, you know, if you've got somebody who's got some kind of physical ailment or you know, or, or something going on with their mental health, you know, mm. the spiraling impact that that can have on people's work life and and everything else. It's huge, isn't it? I think that's where the menopause conversation is yeah. really interesting yeah. at the moment, that that's being addressed, I think, isn't it, Eloise, in, in parliament, in government at the moment, uh, menopause and the workplace. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, menopause is a classic example of things spiraling that you get these symptoms whatever they be it's so individual but it can affect your mood you can feel anxious and it can affect brain fog memory which then can lead to struggling at work I know of so many people who've had to leave their jobs which then leads to a massive implication on on well financial effects but also self-confidence um and then, I mean, the exhaustion that you can feel if you're not sleeping, if you're getting hot flushes at night, and then you have somebody saying, well, you need to go and do more exercise. That will help. That will help you feel better and you'll sleep better and your mood will be better. But how do you do the exercise if you're feeling completely exhausted with no motivation and just hugely lacking in energy and self-confidence? And and then you need to get back to square one and think, OK, well, what's the underlying reason? OK, it's the menopause. And how do we treat that? Well, in a lot of people, we can consider HRT if that makes you feel better then maybe you'll be able to do these other things such as exercise get back to work which then in itself makes you feel better so I think it's so important to get to the bottom of it because then it means that you can then do other things to then help and and that all of that bigger picture will will help make you feel better absolutely um I think one thing that holds people back is they're worried about bothering doctor specifically at a time like this when there's so much pressure on the NHS so hearing mm. you say that actually go early go when you first start spotting things that are awry um, and it might be that you just come away with reassurance I think that's really really helpful because I think that will mean that people do go Absolutely. I feel quite strongly about that. I think I, I completely agree I, that people are just uh, sort of thinking, oh, I, I just don't want to bother. It's not a big deal. But actually, if you do leave it and it becomes a much bigger deal, that's then 
much harder from our point of view, takes longer um, from uh, our point of view. We've got 10 minutes and it's difficult and it's so hard to fit everything in in that time, which um, always makes me feel bad because you always feel like you're rushing. But actually, we'd much, much prefer you to come early. We can review, we can keep going, um, keep monitoring. Um, and hopefully that can prevent it, it spiralling and getting worse and getting harder to manage or more things to, to, to try and have to, to sort out. So no, I'd highly encourage, even if you're having to wait, I think my wait's at the moment six weeks or something awful. So even if you're having to wait a while, if you know you've got that appointment, sometimes that can just take that anxiety away that you know you're doing something about it and automatically you feel you're moving forward. That's brilliant. That's really helpful. And for anybody who's feeling embarrassed, too embarrassed to speak to their GP, what advice would you give them? So I've got a couple of tips. I think if you are feeling so embarrassed, you don't think you'd be able to sit in front of somebody and talk about it. We do have options now of telephone appointments. I mean, ideally, I like seeing people face to face. I think it really helps sort of build that rapport and really, particularly if you're talking about difficult things. But maybe if if you're so embarrassed just to, to start, just that, just to initiate that conversation, it we can do it over the phone or we can do video consultations if, if that makes it that little bit easier to start the conversation. If possible, I, as I said before, I would try and see somebody that you know or you trust or um, you feel sort of more, more comfortable with because I do think that makes it easier. I mean, I know it's difficult this, but if at all possible to see if you can ask for a double appointment, because that just gives you time. It gives the GP time. I automatically feel a bit more relaxed if I've got more time to talk about these things. It means we can ask sort of more open questions to be able to get deeper into what's going on rather than worrying about the clock running down and and running late. So I think that would be something I, I think would be just would just relax everybody and give them time. Um, And sometimes it's just useful just to write a list of what you want to cover. Because I know, I mean, I've done it before, you go to the doctor, you think you know exactly what you want to say. And then you get in there, you know, everybody's in a rush, the doctor's probably running late, and then you sort of lose your track of what you really want to get out of it. And again, if you're reading from a from a sort of script almost, maybe it makes it a little bit easier just to have some of those awkward, more difficult conversations because it's all just written down there for you. Um, and if you feel brave enough, if possible, just to be as open and as direct about what you're worried about, because often we do as GPs, we're very much taught to sort of really look into things and, and try and pick up on cues if people don't you can see they're not quite sure how to bring it up and we we are trained to try but sometimes it's difficult to really know what you're thinking about so even write that down that main thing that you're worried about so you've got it there and to make sure that 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 really is covered and um, it's not missed because the GP doesn't realize that's the thing you're particularly worried about. And what if the patient doesn't get somebody as lovely as you? (laughs) What if um, they are up against um, a doctor uh, who is stonewalling or dismissive? We know that women in particular can, it can take years for certain diagnoses such as endometriosis. Um, There's been a lot of coverage with um, Sarah Graham's hysterical women about not being believed um, in the healthcare setting. So it is quite common uh, still, unfortunately, that 
that this is the case. Um, and with people with chronic conditions, so that spans all genders, obviously, um, what what can they do? How can they better advocate for themselves um, in that kind of setting? I think there's a variety of things. I think with these, maybe when you don't feel you're getting where you want to, I think it is if if you're brave enough to say, look, I, I really, this is something I really feel I want help with or looked into, th- and this is in particular what I'm worried about. Um, sometimes that can be helpful. Sometimes if the doctor hasn't quite understood and they are not going in the direction you want, if you say to them with endometriosis, for example, if it's something that's in your mind, or I mean, there's so many people who come and they they have a symptom that doesn't even cross my mind that it would be cancer, but that is the thing that is really worrying them. Mm. Actually to say, look, actually, I'm really worried this is cancer. I know this sounds silly, but this is really what's worrying me. As soon as I know that, I think, right, okay, I understand what what you, you're worried about and I can reassure or I can potentially do a test if, if need be to, to, to reassure. I think if you are feeling you are getting nowhere with that doctor, it's probably better to cut your losses and and maybe try. I know this takes time and I know it's difficult to get appointments, but to actually to, to get a second opinion from somebody mm. else. Um, have a look at the, uh, the GPs at the surgery. See if there's somebody normally on the websites. They say that they're what their specialist interest is. If it's a women's health issue, for example, see if you can find somebody who's got a specialist interest in women's health. There often are one, um, not always. Um, but it, it's worth sort of restarting again if you're feeling you're not getting anywhere because, um, I mean, you can try your best, but I know sometimes it just, though, some consultations just don't go the way that, that you want it to and you're left feeling dissatisfied or things are being missed. Um, and actually, from my point of view, sometimes I find actually having a second opinion from a colleague of mine is really useful. Sometimes you do as a GP, you feel you're, you're, you've got to the end of what you can think of doing and having somebody completely fresh looking at it, thinking, well, hang on a minute, have you looked at it this way or have you thought about that? can actually be really helpful. Mm. So I wouldn't feel bad about sort of trying trying to see somebody else, trying again and keep going until you feel you're getting where you want. And even if, if for example, you think it's endometriosis and actually the investigations are done, it's not, that then satisfies you to know that that has been looked into and maybe, maybe something else is found or maybe not, but at least you know that as uh, it's as thoroughly been investigated, but also you've been listened to and your concerns have been answered. I was just wondering how you personally feel, um, Eloise, about about patients either bringing somebody with them so that they can remember what is being said to them if it's a difficult conversation especially if it's something like something distressing like dementia or cancer or um how you feel about actually being recorded because I know um I can find it difficult to take everything in um when a doctor's talking to me if it's something that's that's a bit overwhelming so so how do you feel about that 
I have absolutely no problem at all with somebody coming with them. I think it's a brilliant idea. And I mean, I had somebody recently who who we've referred, somebody I'm quite worried about, and I said, please take somebody with you. You you get to an appointment and particularly if you're nervous, your mind goes blank and you don't know what you're asking. You can't remember anything the doctor says and you come home then with a list of questions and, and who knows when the next appointment's going to be. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I feel it is if if it if it feels right for you I mean obviously if it's an embarrassing um uh, condition that you don't want anybody else to, to hear then that's a completely different situation but if if it is something that you would feel more relaxed or would help sort of almost take notes or listen or be able to sort of interject with set, sort of sensible questions that you might not have thought of then yeah absolutely um the recording thing is difficult I I mean look I shouldn't really mind being recorded at all I I sometimes wonder if it puts you slightly on edge as a doctor if you know you're being recorded um mm. but I mean I, I, there's no reason we can't I know all the phone calls that we do we they always get recorded anyway so there's no reason you can't it's it just um I don't know if it just sort of throws the sort of rapport slightly but um I suppose you can try and ignore it and 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 just carry on as you normally would really and along those lines actually I wonder if um there's anything in people almost coming in would it ever be of value if people do just think I cannot say these words out loud is there something about people I know you talked about a list but almost just literally writing down their feelings and and handing it over absolutely I have patients um who particularly menopause patients actually who do that and I find it so helpful because they've had time to write that they've written everything down that's important to them I can have a a quick look through actually um because you can pick things up quite quickly often more quickly than somebody trying to think of all of the things that have been affecting them and it really gives a good good picture and a good idea of, of what's going on mm. so yeah i i really think writing a list i think there is this sort of heart sink slightly that some doctors say oh gosh my patients come with a list with 20 things on it and how are we going to cover that in 10 minutes but actually as long as it's all linked together Mm. and it all is relevant um and even if it's not relevant we can work out what we can focus on in that in that appointment yes I think it's really really useful I think it's unfortunate I mean when I see patients I do menopause clinics at the hospital I always follow up with a letter because that's how we communicate with the GP but the letter also goes to the patient and actually that's a lovely way of being able to summarize the conversation and summarize the points that I recommend. I love those letters are they the ones that say like I met this uh, lovely woman face type yeah I'm like oh thanks mate. (laughs) (laughs) Yes there are, I, I remember looking at back some sort of from when I first started training from many years ago. And um, there are things people, the doctors wrote in those letters that you never get away with <laughs> writing now. Um, but um, yes, the, the, exactly. It's always the same thing. This love, lovely person. Um, but yeah, I think I quite like doing those because it means I feel I've summarised everything for them, for the GP, but also summarise the plan because exactly you can talk about all this stuff and you get home and think, well, how was I supposed to take that medication? Or And obviously we don't do that as a GP because, I mean, you just you, you can't write a letter every 10 minutes. But um, so, yeah, writing a note or, or, as you say, recording could well be an option. Uh, something you said earlier as well, we've, we've touched upon lots and lots of really, really useful and I'm guessing very common examples that are very specific to women's health. Do you notice any gender differences in terms of how 
uncomfortable people feel when it comes to talking about awkward subjects you know do those who identify as male versus those who identify as female are there any differences that you see it's an interesting question. I think by it's in, I see so many fewer men now with sort of men related embarrassing issues. I suppose I, I see lots of men, male patients, but I don't know patients with prostate problems or erectile problems tend to go to the male GPs. It's a little bit of a generalisation, but they tend to, and the women with more um, female related issues tend to come to me partly mm. because. I'm known as the person with the interest in women's health. Um, However, I think a good example is when I did that sexual health job, I saw both men and women. And I'm not sure if there was so much a gender sort of difference. I think it's just a personality difference of um, some people are much more open about talking about it versus other people who who are very close and find it much more difficult. And I don't know. I mean, as I say, I hope I make people feel quite comfortable to be able to talk about these things to to put them at ease. But I haven't noticed hugely a a gender difference. It's more it's more a personality difference, I think. Mm. And does that is that reflected generationally as well yes good question I probably I mean again this is a huge generalization I would say I think the younger generation probably are more open to be talking about things more social media talking about all of these more embarrassing issues um but I also think as you get older, you just get more comfortable in yourself sometimes in mm. your body and, and actually you're, you're not so bothered about what people think. You just want to get <laughs> to the bottom of it and, and you will talk about it. So I, I, I think it's difficult to generalise, really. I think it's often it's so individual. You know, almost as soon as somebody walks in the room, if, if they're going to if they've got something that they want to talk about that feels a bit awkward and they you can see uh, often people will bring up something completely sort of insignificant ingrowing toenail first and you think is that, is that really why you've come and slowly they'll it'll come actually with why they why they've decided to come and, and they're sort of just building up to it um so yeah it, it, it's a really individual thing i would say that makes sense with we've we've touched on um, physical health mostly I wonder um, as Christy was saying about the generations does it seem like younger people are more willing to come forward and uh, open a conversation with you about their mental health or does that does the awareness span the generations I think it's a really good question because I think mental health is another one that actually some people find quite difficult to talk about and I still think unfortunately Mm -hmm. there is a bit of a stigma attached to it people are worried I've had people say well what I don't want this written on my records what about insurance claims what about will work find out so I think I think it is sometimes a more difficult thing to talk about um Again, is there a generational difference? I'm not sure, to be honest. Yes, probably. I think I've I've had a, a a couple of much older patients, quite isolated patients, who I think, without a doubt, probably are depressed. But actually, you you try and suggest sort of ways of managing it or medications, and and they sort of try and be very 
stoical and say, I don't, I don't, I don't need medications. I'm fine. And actually, I think they would hugely benefit from them. But I wonder if there is a generational sort of feeling about trying to to, to be stoic when actually that it's not that's not necessarily the right way of seeing it. It's nothing to do with stoicism. It's to do with um, well, often it's a hormonal imbalance that needs needs treating. So. I think possibly, but I think, again, it's such an individual thing about how comfortable somebody feels and, and, and what that route they feel is right for them. Um, some people absolutely feel they want, to, they want the medication, for example, so they're willing to come and talk about it. Other people really don't, really don't want to, to, to go down that route and want to sort of try counselling or other options. Just to reassure people, uh, you mentioned that people, one of the things they worry about if they come in with mental health issues is implications towards their um, finances or their work. Can you just reassure people that that isn't, well, I actually don't know. What what happens if they disclose mental health issues to their GP? Our records are completely confidential unless there is anything on it that makes us very worried about their their health um so for example if somebody came and said please don't tell anybody but I feel really suicidal and I think I might do something tonight but I don't want you to tell anybody and please don't write that in my notes I would sort of duty of care have to do something in order to make sure I felt that they Mm. were safe um however in the majority of cases and what you tell us and what we write in the notes um, are confidential. And if an employer asks for records, it's only with the consent of yourself, the patient, for us to disclose anything. That's really Um, helpful. From an inch... Yeah, so I really don't think that should stop people um, coming at all. There are very, very few situations, and it's only to do in an emergency situation if we thought somebody's life was at risk that we'd ever have to to break that. These conversations are always so helpful. You've touched earlier on this point around media and social media and the difference that that is having in terms of helping people broach these slightly more awkward conversations. Is there anything else more broadly that you think would help or that you would like to see happen that would make these conversations that little bit easier? And one of the things that inspired this conversation, uh, this question rather, was a really good thing that I saw a little while ago, which was some research that showed that younger women were more likely to go and have in the campaign's words, an intimate wax than go to their Mm. smear appointments. And so PHE teamed up with Treatwell and put out loads of marketing materials in that space to break down some of those barriers. And I thought, what? I just thought it was such a clever idea for a partnership. And I just wondered if there's any more examples of things like that that you've seen or anything else that, you know, just those examples of best practice where you think, yes, we need more of that. I think that's a fabulous idea. I think trying to take medicine away from just the clinical environment um, is is brilliant. So, um, I mean, I I work with um, Menopause Care, which is with Naomi Potter, and she's done a fabulous job at doing Instagram talks with a variety of people, um, which is and, and a variety of media people as well. And that's a brilliant way, I think, of getting getting the word out. If if you, there are well known people talking about the subject um so menopause has been 
started to be covered a lot more. I think other women's health conditions um, should be. Um, Naga Munchetti, I was seeing, has recently been talking about um, adenomyosis, which is a little bit similar to endometriosis. And again, I think these celebrities or well-known people talking about things um, really makes you, you start thinking about it more. But then I also think, as you say, I mean, a lot of people go for a wax or if people go and have their nails done, is is it worth having a sign up there sort of, again, just sort of prompting um, the, the conversation or thoughts to be had? Um I, I think the other example, I've done a little bit of work with target ovarian cancer. And apparently, a, a, quite a lot of people think when they've had their smear test, it's a checking that they don't have ovarian cancer, um, which is that it's actually more looking for cervical changes, so cervical cancer. And they've got this um, policy that they've started doing is giving nurses these leaflets about ovarian cancer to give to everybody at, at the time they have their smear test, saying this is not to look, look for ovarian cancer, but these are the things to look out for for ovarian cancer. So again, it, it sort of quashes um, taboos, but also um, makes you start thinking about other things. So I would, I would have to have a think about, I think that the, the um, waxing one is a brilliant place to talk more about smear tests, mm. for example. But I think there are other, I'm sure there's other opportunities that um, would be a brilliant way to start talking about um, all these other mm, issues. Absolutely. There's been some really interesting headway made, um, I've noticed, around men's mental health in particular as well. Yeah. I think that's been a real, that's been a really positive example where I think the conversations around men's mental health seem to have shifted gosh it's unrecognizable I think now compared to how it was 10 years ago maybe even five years ago really I agree I think men particular and this is again a generalization but don't talk so much about their mental health um there's this Mm. real sort of man up type vibe that some people have and I think it's so wrong and 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 they therefore don't talk about things but more and more people there's more and more on social media of um, either men who've struggled with mental health issues sort of encouraging that talk um I think postnatally I mean 10% of men can get postnatal depression now that's not talked about um and actually women get their postnatal check but often the man doesn't come along to it so they're never checked up um so again it's trying to find opportunities to to um at least sort of start that conversation or maybe in the 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 checkup with women just to say at the end obviously it's all about it should be about them and their baby initially but just to sort of check that the husband's okay and to give sort of advice if they need to have help as well so it's finding all the option all the opportunities any point that they're seeing any healthcare worker or pharmacist or nurse or to to really use these opportunities to be able to pick up on anything that doesn't seem right or, or there might be more help to be able to be given seems to be about making it easier for people to broach these difficult, distressing, awkward conversations, finding yeah. those um, places, times, the right tone um, where people can, yeah, can be prompted and led into um, really life-changing or important conversations thank you so much this has been really helpful have you got any final tips for anybody who's sitting at home stressing about going to the gp 
The, the other thought I've just suddenly had is I don't and I'm not sure all GP surgeries are using this, but we've started using it where we've got the online um, patient access. So it's a way of either booking appointments, but you can also send queries. And actually, that might be another way of being able to write down your query initiated. We then would be in contact with the person, the patient, once we get that. And we know initially what, what their worries are. And that can sometimes help start that conversation. And then we're it's sort of up to us to then contact them to organize an appointment but it started and it stopped that difficult of how do I initially bring this up so that would be another tip if if you've got that opportunity at your GCP surgery um, of either emailing or I think that's happening less now but these online patient access services that can be another really good way of, of, of opening the sort of door of that to that quest to those more awkward difficult questions. That's really helpful. Thank you, Eloise. And if people are looking for you online um, and are interested in what you're doing with regards to women's health and the publications you're bringing out, where can they find you? So, yeah, so I'm the Women's Health GP um, on Instagram, which is where I do most of, of my my stuff. Um, I also work at Menopause Care. So um, there is a brilliant Menopause Care website with lots of information and I'm there as well. That's brilliant. I can't thank you enough for giving us your time. And I would think this will be really helpful for people who are struggling with talking about awkward or embarrassing or difficult conversations with their doctor. So thank you very much, Eloise. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. I think it's so important to be having these these chats. So well done for doing this this podcast. It's brilliant. Ah, oh, thanks. Thank <laughs> In this next bit there may be a few little swears. We're live. Oh, yeah. Oh, hang on. Sorry, I thought you were going to ask me. Is that what you said? <laughs> God. I fucking did as well. I want to know. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Right, okay. I'd be inclined so to I'm... keep that in. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Brilliant. We are, you know, <laughs> just follow our lead if you're new to podcasting. We are on top of this. It's a hot uh, day. Okay. It's a hot day. It's oh. a hot day and I don't know, my brain's up my bum or something. Uh, and Well, that'd be something for a GP, wouldn't it? My brain's <laughs> up my bum. Um, that's a new one. <laughs> right. So, Christy. Hey, Anne. What, <laughs> what did you think <laughs> of our chat with Dr. Eloise Elphinstone. Oh, I loved her. I loved her so much. It was just like a big reassuring cuddle, wasn't it? It was just so interesting as well. And actually, I found we went down a road that I totally wasn't expecting. So in particular, I hadn't ever grasped the importance of media exposure to certain conditions so when she was talking about the jade goody effect um and also talking about davina mccall and the menopause i just thought wow that's i mean that's great news and it just goes to show the value of of celebrities and and the media exposure of certain conditions and and i guess given the impact that has on giving people license and perhaps more terminology to work with to actually pluck up the courage to go and see their GPs. So that was one big takeaway that's that's been on my mind since we spoke to her. The other one, and again, this is just something I absolutely love, just that practical 
advice that she gave so that you can get the most out of your GP appointment because we all know the NHS is so stretched and just being able to give yourself and your GP that little head start I think is so useful and tangible and then finally this was the bit that really really surprised me and opened my eyes was just when she was talking about the the impact that it can have if we don't pluck up the courage to go and talk to the GP about those embarrassing problems you know Mm -hmm. that that was really heart-wrenching I found um so those were my three big ones um after listening um after chatting to her how about you yeah so I think what you were saying about um preparing yourself to go to your GP's appointment. I think that's something that we don't think about doing. We think about preparing ourselves for all sorts of other difficult conversations, whether it be work or with your kids mm. or um, family, but it it would benefit both parties clearly because you're more able to articulate yourself, you know what you want to get out of it. So I think that's a really, really good point. Um, I think a few of the things I liked, kind of the reiteration they've kind of seen and heard it all before. Yeah. Um, and they're not particularly, you can tell by her demeanor, she's she's not going to be faced by much. Mm. So it doesn't really matter what you go in and say. It could be, apart from maybe your brain being up your bum, which is <laughs> a, a condition I've just invented. Um, uh, the thing about mental health I thought was really interesting. Um, mm. The I know that some people will worry about going and divulging mental health issues and that reassurance about the confidentiality and at what point they do have to share um, and that is literally only in emergency situations so I think that is really reassuring with regards to employment Mm. um, and I've heard people talk about that so that's a barrier uh, for some people seeking help Um, and like you said going early will actually relieve the strain on the NHS so having that conversation at the earliest point something's up go and get it sorted it actually relieves the strain um you're not being a nuisance you're not being bothersome and she's got the best name Dr Eloise Elphinstone oh my lovely (laughs) so we've worked together a little bit um and I so I I feel like I know her um fairly well Mm. and her work in women's health is fantastic so I do hope Um, anybody who's interested in that does check her out absolutely yeah another super duper chat so in terms of other people's podcasts what are Mm. some of the ones that you've been listening to this week christy and i love uh podcasts (laughs) which is why we do this it's the only reason i clean my house to be quite honest (laughs) as an excuse to go and listen to a podcast yeah yeah i mean it really does kind of uplift every day uh, monotony doesn't it, it really um, does. monotonous tasks that we've got so we love to spread the love as well I've been listening to well your your recommendation actually oh, um, yeah. off menu mm. um, I've forgotten the name of the host is it James Acaster yes is yeah. that right because yeah, I, yeah. I feel like a- Acaster is where we put out the yeah. podcast <laughs> yeah James Edcaster and Ed Gamble who I saw do his stand-up show in Liverpool not a million years ago and he is absolutely amazing and he walked onto the stage to full metal which always gets massive votes from me it was glorious anyway carry on well I, I, um so the first time I tried it mm. like I said to you I was a little bit it was it was quite full on mm. and I was a little bit I probably wasn't in the right headspace for it I then went back um 
and because I love the concept and I thought they were very funny and I listened to yeah. Stanley Tucci because I'm a big Stanley Tucci fan who isn't oh, <laughs> um, and yeah it was glorious absolutely loved it talking about food um yeah I mean you can't really fail with that and speaking of failing I've also been listening to um how to fail Elizabeth Day's podcast oh I love that one it's so good isn't it yeah. I mean all these really high-achieving people and them talking about their failures. Mm. I mean, it's just fantastic. And um, I was listening to the Margaret Atwood one. Um, oh, okay. she, their vibe together is great, so I'd definitely recommend that that particular episode. Oh, I've not heard that one. It's, it's no. the first time they've spoken, but it they've got this really good dynamic where it just sounds like they really know each other. It's, it's just such a really good flow and... Obviously, Margaret Atwood um, has created some amazing work. So, yeah. I would, Is she the Handmaid's Tale? Yeah. Um, yeah. Blind Assassin um, and various other tomes. Um, and what about you? What have you been listening to? So, delightful link, actually. So, Elizabeth Day and How to Fail. I've, I've listened to that on the recommendation of one of my friends who also recommended Sophie Ellis Baxter's Spinning Plates podcast, which oh, yeah. has been going quite a while now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I dip in and out of that. I go through massive binges. So earlier this week, I was having a lovely walk post putting the kids to bed and the sun was looking delightful and I was listening to that because she's, oh, it's just so cuddly. I just mm-hmm. love her anyway. But yeah, just her nice chats with her guests are always, always really good value. Yeah, I like that one, yeah. But it, it it occurred to me, I was like, gosh, this is like a throwback to lockdown. Because actually her podcast was probably one of the first ones I really got into during those really crazy lockdown days when we were only allowed out for, you know, <laughs> very limited periods of time. I think I've only listened to one episode of that. Um, but is it mainly to do with parenting or motherhood or, or am I got that wrong? So... Kind of. They're all mothers. Were they all parents? I can't quite remember. So that's the mm. sort of commonality. So hence the spinning plates thing around juggling parenthood and careers and everything in between sort of thing. Um, but it doesn't doesn't tend to lean that heavily just on parenthood. It's more... You know, it's people that have done really interesting things. So not that having kids isn't an interesting thing. It's just, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I um, it's about those other facets of their life that yeah. are touched upon as well. But um, yeah, that's always a nice one for a nice, a nice one. Yeah, down that sounds fund. great. Um, I will revisit that one. I think I might have listened to the Emma Barnett one because um, mm. basically I listen to anything with Emma Barnett. <laughs> Not a stalker. Um, <laughs> anything with Barnet or Mateless, and I am there. Um, <laughs> here for uh, it. Yeah, I am here for it. Um, excellent. Well, are we are we signing off for today? I think we're signing off for today. It's far too hot to do it to do anything else. I might go and eat a, an ice lolly. <laughs> Sounds lush. Uh, thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening to This Is Awkward, the podcast about how to have difficult conversations. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can find us on Instagram at Awkward Podcast, or you can email us at hello at thisisawkward.co.uk. 
please do hit follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And five-star reviews will also help us expand our audience as we tackle life's most challenging chats. The content of this show is not meant to take the place of professional help, such as clinical and counselling support. Please do contact your healthcare provider, HR team, other professional body or a reputable charity to seek proper help for yourself if you've been affected by any of the issues in our show. Until next time. Take care, everyone. Thank you.